You're listening to a Stranger podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't on the Savage Podcast. I've gotten a few angry emails in the last couple of weeks. Um, getting angry emails is uh, in my job description, so that doesn't bother me. Uh, welcome and uh, read your angry emails uh, with delight. Uh, particularly when they include pictures of your boyfriend's asses. Now, I've gotten a couple in the last uh, week or two because I've had nothing to say on the podcast about Sandra Fluck, about the battle over contraception, about the war on women, about transvaginal ultrasounds, about Rush Limbaugh. I've had plenty to say about all of that shit. I've been saying it at Slog, The Stranger's blog, which you can read at slog.thestranger.com, and I've been saying it on my Twitter feed, at Fake Dan Savage. Uh, but sometimes, you know, we record the podcast seven, eight, ten days out uh, or a week out, sometimes a couple weeks in advance uh, because of my schedule. And when that happens, I can't be completely topical at the top of the show because uh, we're a little out in advance. But I will, you know, in my defense, point out that for more than a decade, I have been writing something at the bottom of Savage Love called Straight Rights Watch. It's kind of a staple of gay newspapers or was back when we had gay newspapers for them to do the Gay Rights Watch or Gay Rights Watch. And anywhere gay rights were under assault, they'd like point out that this was this law in this state or this was happening and we should all send outraged letters. And I started writing Straight Rights Watch more than a decade ago because I was hearing rumblings on the right of a movement to oppose access to contraception. They were attempting to redefine contraception as abortion. And we all know how they feel about abortion, which is about at bottom how they feel about recreational or non-procreative sex and they're against it. That's why they're against contraception, abortion and the gays. That is their issue. I unpacked that in a rant at the top of the podcast a few weeks ago. Um, and I've been all over it and I have been appalled and fascinated by the GOP's efforts to commit suicide by attacking what even people on the right are saying were settled issues around access to contraception. 98% of American women use contraception and the thing that bothers me about that stat, everybody throws that out. 98% of American women use contraception as if American men aren't therefore using contraception too. 98% of American women who use contraception are not using contraception with their lesbian lovers. They're using contraception with their male partners. So the vast and overwhelming majority of American men use contraception, including presumably Rush Limbaugh who's been married four times, I don't believe has any children and has not been celibate, I believe, between his marriages. Either Rush Limbaugh is using contraception or Rush Limbaugh is spilling his seed. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing with it. He's frosting cupcakes and serving them to guests at his mansion in Florida. Who knows? Uh, but he's either using contraception or his spunk is not uh, being deposited where God intended spunk to be deposited, according to the likes of Rick Santorum. Um, Maureen Dowd in her column a couple weeks ago uh, quoted a Republican female strategist, a vagina haver, who said that she just couldn't believe that the Republican Party was going to run against sex because sex is popular. Unlike Mitt Romney, whose negatives are skyrocketing, uh, sex is popular and the GOP is running against sex. The GOP is running against American women. The GOP is running against your vagina. They are, as I have said here on the podcast and in my column, 
They are all about shrinking the size of government because they want to be able to stuff government in your vagina. That is what they're all about. Uh, from the, their transvaginal ultrasounds to their efforts to knock the birth control out of your hands uh, to labeling all women who use birth control sluts and prostitutes and demanding to see the video. Speaking of seeing the video, uh, per Rush Limbaugh, uh, in Virginia and I believe uh, uh, Alabama, a couple other states, they've had these ultrasound bills where they're going to – if you want to have an abortion, they're going to take a look first. They want to – the government, Governor McConnell wants to take a look around inside your vagina. Um, basically, they want to rape you uh, because they're going to stick a transvaginal ultrasound up your twat without your consent if you want access to your constitutionally protected right to terminate pregnancy. I have an idea for American women. Seems to me that all of these GOP politicians, what they really want is they just want to look at your twat. They're afraid of it. They're afraid that you're in charge of it and they're not in charge of it. Hence all this regulation, hence these running against your vagina, which sounds terrifying. Um, and it seems to me that there could be kind of a lesbian Avengers queer nation style protest waged by American women of all sexual orientations. Um, you could grind government to a halt by showing them what they're also desperate to have a look at, by showing them your vagina. That's what they want. They want to peek inside. Rush Limbaugh wants to see your sex tapes. Bob McDonald wants pictures. Give them pictures. If there was a protest at the Virginia State Capitol where this uh, transvaginal ultrasound bill has been signed into law, there was a protest where you just packed the galleries with angry women who all at once on you know some secret signal just threw into the air photographs of their own vaginas and they papered the hall with them. And outside the building and on the, the, the governor's mansion and on the houses of anybody who sponsored or voted for this legislation, project huge images of vag. Here it is. You want to look so bad. Here you go, fellas. You could grind government to a halt. You really could. It would send them fleeing in terror if you just gave them what they seem to want, which is a look. Give them a look until they can't look anymore. Stop the business of government. Okay, you guys, you guys are going to put aside job creation and the environment and everything else we need to worry about because you because you're so obsessed with my vagina. Here's my vagina. Have a look. Eat it up. Soak it in. Take it in. We'll be back tomorrow with more pictures of vaginas until you knock it the fuck off. I really feel that a protest like that, that it was as in your face and offensive as these new laws and regulations, as this war on women is in your face and offensive. You just upped the ante just a little bit and showed them to be the, the, the weirdos and perverts that they are by giving them what they're after. Here you go. You want vag? You got vag. You got vag coming out your fucking ears, Bob McDonald. You got vag coming out your fucking ears, Rush Limbaugh. They'll shit themselves. They will. They'll shit themselves. And if you say, and we're coming back, repeal this law or it's going to be vag day every day here at the state capitol, here at the governor's mansion, those projections really work. Those video projections at night. You can vag up the Virginia state capitol. You can plaster the governor's mansion with images of vag. You can plaster the homes of the sponsors of this legislation with images of vag. I think that you should do it. I can't do it. I don't have a vagina. But people out there listening to me, you have vaginas. It's time for the Million Vagina March on the state of Virginia. 
your calls after this. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 30% off your new account for three months, go to Squarespace.com and use offer code SAVAGE3. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit AdamandEve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. I'm a 21-year-old guy living in a large city in the Midwest, and I've recently developed a fetish that's becoming a little bit problematic. Basically, I've started to steal a pair of underwear from all the boys I hook up with. I'm up to like nine undies in my collection, and it's growing pretty quickly. (laughs) I seriously feel like the gay version of a straight boy panty raider who collects for sexual conquest or cross-dressing or whatever. Except this isn't something I became fascinated with as a teenage boy. This only started in the past few months, and it's kind of escalated pretty quickly. All of it began when I dated my first long-term boyfriend for about a year and a half. We were both the same size, and when you date a guy who's your size, I'm sure you know that your wardrobe pretty much doubles. So I'd wear his underwear all the time, and I started to get off on it. I'd smell the crotch of his shorts when I jacked off or used them as a cum rug, and we broke up six months ago, but I managed to hold on to a couple pairs of his undergarments. I then took your advice, like customer advice for getting over a breakup, and began coating myself in the saliva of other men to get it over with. And lo and behold, the second boy I hook up with forgets a pair of underwear tangled up in my sheets. So I wear them, jack off into them, and into my collection. This progressed into me going through guys' laundry while they're in the bathroom, brushing their teeth, or taking a pair off the floor in the morning before I go home and even going into someone's room during a party and raiding his dresser and almost getting caught. I haven't been caught yet, but I'm sure I will if I keep it up, and I doubt most guys would take kindly to this. I've actually had to hide a pair of stolen shorts from a boy before he like came over to my house, lest he recognized his pink briefs in my closet. It's gotten to the point where I'm even considering revisiting old hookups and exes just to nab another pair of underwear for my collection. I mean, I don't really even feel that fulfilled after a sexual encounter if I don't manage to like make off with a pair of underwear afterward. I really just get a rush out of the whole process, like the moment of truth when I nab the underwear, taking them home and admiring myself in the mirror, wearing apparel day, and then finally huffing it and getting off and thinking back to the guy who they belong to. I don't know. I'm a little conflicted. I don't feel gross or ashamed about it, and I'm not too worried about the legality of it. But I guess it's technically illegal. I'm starting to feel like kind of a jerk. I know I'm straight up stealing from every guy that I see lately, but this really lifts my luggage. I'm planning on seeing a really, really hot guy this weekend and maybe taking his virginity and then probably stealing a pair of underwear to remember the conquest. I don't know. This fetish only seems to be escalating. My question is, should I stop before I really get into this and take it too far, despite how much fun I'm having and how much fun I'm enjoying myself? Have I already taken it too far? I know I'm pretty much a dirty little pervert thief, but how much harm am I really doing compared to the enjoyment I'm getting out of this? Hey, it's Dan. Oh my God, Dan Savage. <laughs> Where are you? And you're not alone, are you? Riverside. No, my roommate, my best fag stag is right next to me. Oh, is he straight? Yes. Oh, have you stolen his underwear? That would be totally hot. <laughs> no, I have not. He lives with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen. 
I don't think what you're doing in the you know the grand scheme of things is really that bad. It kind of falls on the playful, naughty, not nice side of the ledger. Um, yeah, and, and I think you should keep doing it. But I think at some point, should I? Yeah, Are you I'm, giving me a permission slip. I am giving you a permission slip. But I think you need to do something <laughs> for penance on the back end. You need to do an amends making thing on the back end. And I'm going to give you this assignment. You know, I don't know what big Midwestern city you live in, but I have an idea. I have a theory. And in every big okay. Midwestern city with a, like, uh, you know, a boys' town or a gay neighborhood, there's like the gay underwear store. Yeah. Right. And I think what you should yes, do. I, is, I know of one of those. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you're. I'm sure you're a regular. And I think what you should do <laughs> is just get a few gift certificates, and every once in a while, when you steal a pair of underwear, leave the gift certificate. Like leave it really? in the drawer or mail Isn't it. Isn't that kind of outing me as a thief? It won't be outing you. They're not going to know you did it necessarily, right? <laughs> it's just it's good karma. You're you're gaying it forward. They'll like they'll notice that there's this thing in their underwear drawer. You know, if you're at a party or you know you take a you know an old ex boyfriend's underwear or something, they're not going to be able to trace that right back to you necessarily. And every once in a while, if you, if you hook up with a guy and you you know nab his underwear the next day, you've got his address. Just like mail one of those guys every once in a while uh, a gift certificate for thirty. Freaking bucks! I think your fetish, as, as much fun as you're having, is it worth like 120 bucks a year? Just like randomly, three of the guys give a little golden ticket to go get some more new new boy panties. And That's then it, interesting. I then never, it becomes I never like, thought of that. Then it becomes a little game and a little lottery. And I, I don't think it's anything you should necessarily be that ashamed of. You're a you're an underpants perv. And so long as you, you do what gay people do so well and sort of embrace your fetishes, embrace your kinks, and be a little open and unashamed about it. And so what if you get a reputation among your friends as the guy who steals people's underwear every once in a while, the guy who likes to keep that souvenir? That's kind of fun and sexy. You know, and eventually, you know, if your reputation precedes you, guys will know and it will become a little bit of a game that, you know, uh, hey, you know, you might get picked up by guys like, I'm, you know, I've heard about you. Like, I'm going to lose her underwear. And you can be like, that's right, you are. <laughs> It can become sexy so long as you're not embarrassed or ashamed about it. And I think you'll have less to be ashamed of if there's some, you know, you're you're gaining from this. There's a lot of reward. There's an upside here for you. All these turn-ons are going to wear these underwear and huff them and jerk off and how much pleasure it gives you. There needs to be an upside for them. Like occasionally gotcha. a gift certificate tucked into a drawer or a guy's back pocket or mailed off to a guy's house. After, you know, eight weeks go by and he won't know which one of his uh, hookups was the one, was the uh, guilty part. Sure. And do you think I should ever ask guys before I, like, take it? Would, would that ruin it for you? Um, it might. Some of it's, like, a little bit of sneaking around and, like, being, like, kind of naughty a little bit and having them not know. I don't think you necessarily need to ask. You know, people, un underwear is disposable. People lose it. You're not taking precious family heirlooms. You're not masturbating over, you know, 14 stolen sets of their great-grandmother's <laughs> silver. Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> Yeah, you're not like jerking off under their toothbrushes while they're while you're using the bathroom at their apartments or anything. <laughs> you're nabbing something that within a year or two they were going to lose or use up anyway. Gotcha. And have to replace. So I think you get a pass. You get a pass. Do I? Yes, you do. I'm I'm very surprised. I thought you were gonna berate me a little bit. Nope, not gonna berate you. As long as you're not, you know, I, I, okay, I'll break you a little bit for the being at a party, sneaking into someone's bedroom, nabbing a pair of underwear when you haven't. Yeah, that's when I almost got caught. Yeah, and you, you haven't done the hard work in that case of actually providing that person with an orgasm and then sort of. Uh, I did later. <laughs> well, aren't you good? Aren't you nice? Well, that's my advice for you, okay? 
So do you think I should retroactively go back to some of these guys and maybe drop by a gift certificate or mail it or what? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it'll cause okay. it'll cause a great you'll get to be the underwear bandit. It like people will start to talk about it. It'll be really it'll, it'll be fun. <laughs> It, I think not I, sure I want people to know publicly, but I suppose it kind of outs me of being on the podcast. That's right. Some guy <laughs> in a big midwestern know. city with a straight roommate that he calls his uh, fag stag. Uh, people might have already put it together by the end of this call. Probably. Enjoy. Send pics. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. You'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free extra gift plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-year-old straight female, and I recently started dating this guy. We really hit it off our first date, and after dinner and drinks our second date, we ended up in bed together. There are two things that kind of threw me off. He seemed to roll out the kinks really early. I'm down with the anal play, but I was still kind of surprised to find a finger up my ass the first time we slept together, and we hadn't discussed it at all before. But what really concerned me was his attitude about condoms. He really didn't want to put one on, claims he can't perform well while wearing one, which just sounds like bullshit to me, but maybe that's because I'm a female. I don't know. And he just kept pushing the issue. And so I was I was out of it. I mean, only in our second date, there's no way he was going to be putting his dick in me without one. And then he like then asked, Oh well, can he do anal without a condom? Like that was somehow better and I just found it really disrespectful and so now I'm kinda of thinking, you know, do I even want to see this guy again? Um so I guess my question is, am I am I overreacting here? Thanks, Dan. I think you underreacted uh, the whole way through. When he was hemming and hawing and manipulating you and guilting you about the condom, you should have said, ah, ha, ha, that's really funny. Go. Here are your pants. Here are your underpants if you're the kind of girl who gives the underpants back. Here are your underpants. Here are your pants. Get the fuck out of my apartment. Uh, and you're certainly not getting the fuck into my vagina or my ass. Um, just a note about condoms. Like the people who bitch about condoms, use the right size condoms. If you really thought this guy was hot, uh, and he was a douchebag, and he was whining about condoms, uh, and that's the kind of guy you're willing to tolerate inside you every once in a while because he's hot for some other reason, or you're just super horny, lay in some female condoms so you can put the condom on slash in. I call them trash can liners, and then he doesn't have to wear one on his precious penis, and it feels a little different. Uh, to pound away at a female condom. But, you know, somebody who gives you grief about wearing a condom and pouts and stomps his feet about it is the kind of douchebag who takes a condom off halfway through or, you know, just is going to violate your boundaries, isn't going to respect your wishes, isn't going to take your consent very seriously. They've already demonstrated that they're not taking your consent or your needs or your safety seriously. And you shouldn't fuck somebody like that. They don't deserve your pussy. So you should have sent him packing earlier. You underreacted. Scream and yell. Another note about condoms, uh, the people who say, oh, the condom interrupted the flow and I lost, you know, lost my mojo or my rhythm or my pace or it was a momentary distraction and my dick deflated, put the condom on during foreplay, well before the penis and vagina or penis and anus sex begins. Just put it on, set it and forget it. Uh, you can roll around with a heart on and a condom on and it's not going to slip off. Uh, and then by the time he's ready to fuck uh, – 
He will be used to it. The condom will be warm. Um, if he rolls the condom on and he starts to lose his erection a little bit, you can jack it or he can jack it until it comes back. Um, one of the mistakes people make and whiners make um, with condoms is you know, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. They're ready to go and they have to stop, open a condom packet, put a cold, wet condom on their dick and it can knock you off your game. Uh, but if you put it on earlier, then it's not an interruption at the moment of penetration. Then it's already there. It's set. It's ready to go. Your hand drift down. Yours and his both. You check too. Your hand drifts down to make sure it's still in place. It's still rolled down all the way to the base and you're good to go. And suddenly at the moment before penetration, he's not uh, giving his dick an ice bath or uh, having to stop. But you, you, caller, you underreacted. You should have kicked that douche out earlier sooner and you shouldn't feel guilty and you shouldn't call him and you shouldn't let him have your pussy and you should tell all your pussy having friends not to let him have theirs either hi this episode is brought to you by squarespace.com the fast and easy way to create a high quality website or blog they're very into connecting with their customers based on user requests they've added google's complete web font library over 300 fonts are now fully integrated so you can be really creative and make your own style and Squarespace now offers free live classes to help people with all levels of experience get more comfortable with Squarespace.com. Check out class schedules at workshops.squarespace.com. And for that free trial, go to Squarespace.com, sign up for a free account. No credit card needed. Just try it out. Start building your website. Then if you decide to purchase it, use offer code SAVAGE3 and get 30% off for three months. That's squarespace.com and use offer code SAVAGE3. Hi, Dan. I'm a 21-year-old hetero female. Um, I'm in an awesome friends with benefits situation with one of my guy friends. Um, it's been going on for a while now. No drama, no strings attached. And I feel like you know, either of us could ask the other to do anything. And even if we're not into trying it, you know, we would be non-judgmental and really kind of grateful about refusing it. The only thing I don't know how to ask him to do is to not leave so quickly after we're done hooking up. He sort of just, you know, takes off a condom, disposes of it properly, gathers his clothes and flees. And, you know, I'm not looking for pillow talk, kissing, cuddling, I would be happy if the dude would just lay next to me for five minutes. And I'm kind of wondering how to communicate that to him without sounding needy or like I'm trying to attach some sort of romantic level to our arrangement. So any advice would be appreciated. Thank you. Paris is worth the mass. Your pussy is worth five minutes of cuddling. Just tell him that. Just say what you said to us to him. Not trying to, like, throw hooks into you, not trying to, like, trap you or trick you into actually forming some sort of bond and having a relationship. But you leaping out of bed and pulling your pants on right after you come is a little fucked up and depressing. Uh, and so I need a little bit of aftercare. That's what the BDSM players call it, aftercare. Uh, that doesn't mean that I need a proposal of marriage. Uh, it just means that we've just been intimate. Our bodies were slamming together and my body needs to uh, recover. It needs to be held for a minute. Just lie with me for five fucking minutes. Just toss it out there. Make it a condition of continued access to your pussy and he will come through. He may feel that – he may believe that this is what you want, that you want him out, that uh, he may think that this is what uh, friends with benefits means, you know, blow and go. 
He may be doing this for you, so communicate to him. Let him know that this is not acceptable. If he's doing it for himself, he's going to have to knock it off. If he's doing it for you, he's making a mistake. Uh, just tell him what you need. You just need a little bit of cuddle, care, chat after to like help you slide out of it. Hi, Dan. Um, I am a heteroflexible female. I've been with this really wonderful guy for about two years. So we have like the most amazing relationship. We totally get each other. Um, we both have jobs, but um, we're also, you know, artsy people and we connect in that way. And he's just like the most, I've just been, I've been happier the past that in that time than I ever had been before in my life. Um, and he is my best friend, but our relationship has never been that sexual. And it never was a big problem for me because I do have a relatively low libido. Like I had had that problem in, um, my relationships with other guys um, where I just wasn't as sexual as they were and it affected our relationship. And with him, um, actually, it seems like his libido is lower than mine. So I, I, I have a low libido. I don't have, it's not that I have no libido. So I wanted to talk to him about it because it, it was really sort of absent from our relationship. And we were so close that I felt like I could, you know, just ask him really directly, like, what is it? Like, what, what is there something that you want that you're, you know, that you don't want to talk about or something? So we had a conversation and I was really direct with him about it. And I could see that it was really hard for him. And we had to follow up a couple of times before he was really willing to sit me down and talk about it. But when he did, um, it was like a four hour conversation where basically I sat and listened and he sort of told me his whole life story of, um, of discovering his sexuality and, 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 um, and it turned out that he's not, he, but basically what he ended up telling me is that he's not attracted to people. Um, he's attracted to animals and only, <laughs> and, and he, you know, he loves me and he wanted to be with me and he's romantically in love with me, but he just isn't sexually attracted to people and he never has been. And um, that was difficult to hear for a number of reasons. Um, like, I feel weird. Like, I was forcing this thing on him. I'm like, he was probably just grossed out the whole time. Anyways, I was really supportive at the time. I, you know, let him know that I wasn't going to freak out or run away from him, but I I was a little freaked out. I mean, it changes, it changes a lot of things. It changes the way I see the way he interacts with, with animals and um, a lot of stuff. It just, it just, it just affects my, my vision of him. But um, the biggest question I have for you mostly is what, what to do now. Um, I'm debating, I don't know what I should do with him. I mean, he really did give me an out. Um, but I also, I also wonder like, what does he do in this position? I mean, he's just always sort of been tacitly straight. And I wonder whether he, um, does he come out as asexual? If he does that, then I, if I stay with him, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Does he come out as a zoophile? Does he, I don't even, I've never said that word out loud before. I just looked it up on the internet. So I don't even know if that's what he does it. But does he come out as that? Does he, does he, what does he do? What is, what happens in this situation? There's so much horrible conflicting stuff on the internet. Just tell me what to do. Okay. This one's a little above my pay grade, so joining me by phone, Dr. Jesse Baring, who's a columnist for Slate Magazine. He writes the Baring in Mind blog at scientificamerican.com, and he's the author of the forthcoming book, Why Is the Penis Shaped Like That? And Other Reflections on Being Human, out this July through Farrer, Strauss, and Giro. Hey, Mr. Baring, how are you? Dr. Baring? Hey, Dan, how are you? Good. Uh, I listened to that call, and I immediately thought of uh, the blog post you wrote, I think, two years ago now. Uh, examining whether or not an attraction to animals is a sexual orientation as opposed to a paraphilia. 
Can you unpack sure. that quickly? You know, in like 30 seconds, unpack that for the listeners. Well, I can try. The, it actually is a sexual paraphilia, um, according to many researchers actually looking at this question. People who are primarily aroused to or interested in animals rather than human beings are called zoophiles, um, which means that they basically achieve their, their sort of primary um, orgasmic drive through uh, having sex or through desiring or interacting with uh, non-human species. And where does this come from? What's the what's the best theory about how that how zoophiles are born or made? Yeah, it's quite it's quite mysterious at the moment. Um, Alfred Kinsey in 1948 actually looked at this question, and he found that 50 percent of uh, human males who were um, raised or lived in uh, farm type environments actually had had sex with non-human species like goats or cows or horses or those types of things. But that, that was just, uh, I mean, for most of those people, that was just the goat instead of the fleshlight because the fleshlight did not yet exist. Right. So it was basically, I mean, his argument was basically that um, you couldn't get access or to to actual human beings, other women or men or whatever, uh, so you had sex with animals instead. Um, but more recent evidence suggests that there really is a uh, type of sexual orientation where you are primarily aroused to other species, other species rather than uh, uh, people or human beings. Um, if you look at uh, some of the, the recent research on using uh, penile uh, plethysmographs, for example, we actually look at arousal. People are primarily, some people are primarily aroused by other species uh, over and above human beings. And where do, what is that, what inspires that? And I really want to exonerate everyone out there who's attracted to animals. Nobody says, I think I'm going to want to fuck goats all my life because that'll make my life simple and pleasurable. Uh, and I'll be welcome at, you know, halal butcher shops. There, what, what, what underlies that? What cause, you know, some part of me thinks, well, we share common ancestors with every mammalian vertebrate. Is there some big fat sure. fold in some people's brains where they respond yeah. sexually to this body type, this thing that perhaps some like sense memory echo, genetic echo, evolutionary echo just reverberates through their brain and they want to fuck the horse that we were all once? I don't know. So, so I mean, there are really a lot of interesting questions here, and I think that uh, we're just now sort of digging into this from some sort of empirical, controlled, uh, psychological, scientific sense. Um, but most people who are attracted to animals tend to be attracted to domesticated animals, like horses or dogs, for instance. Um, you don't find a lot of people who are primarily attracted to badgers or to... Uh, you know, giraffes or something like that. It's, it's, it's animals or species that we tend to interact with on a fairly, fairly frequent basis. Um, and so is that a power thing then? Because, you know, domesticated animals, we rule their, their worlds. Is it about power and control and insecurity? Here's an animal that can't reject well, you if it's a possession? I don't think that people necessarily sort of consciously are thinking about their attraction to certain or particular types of species. Uh, there are, there are, you know, our interactions with them, with certain animals are more frequent uh, based on their sort of domestication status. Uh, so we have, we, we tend to have more frequent interactions or exposure to dogs or horses or goats or those types of things than we do to uh, more exotic species. 
And, and there's some part of the culture that smiles on it. Like everyone sort of jokingly acknowledges this like young girl horse thing, uh, you know, the centaur thing. That there's some part, right. of, particularly a horse's body, that we can tap into sexually and people are willing to acknowledge that there's something erotic about that power, that musculature. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that a lot of people would would probably say that, but if we actually sort of administered a, an actual um, physiological measure like a penile plethysmograph uh, to uh, measure their actual uh, arousal, erotic arousal to these animals, we would probably find that they're not more attracted to horses, for example, than they are to human beings. But there really are people who seem to fit the bill of a certifiable, what's called zoophile. And zoophiles are people who are either more or uh, exclusively attracted to other species. And, and usually a zoophile is attracted to one particular species? or are Yeah, uh, the, the most... So most most people who are zoophiles or zoos, as they're, as they're called, um, find themselves attracted to one particular species of animal or one uh, genre of animals. So horses or donkeys, uh, for instance, or monkeys, um, rather than uh, rather than dogs. And where do furries come into play here? People who are attracted to like fox-human hybrid things and half, you know, that whole, like, genre basically... Right, there's a furry movement, yeah. Cartoon pornography, where it's, it's it's an animal face and head and fur, but on a human form. Yeah, I'm not sure where they fit in, actually. I think that that's 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 definitely a question to be examined further, um, but um, so break I out, would imagine... Break, break out the penile polymographs and let's examine this question. That's not like the ultimate dinner yeah. party. I'd like to have a dinner party where everyone had to be wired up to one... Say that again? Penile what? Penile plethysmograph, yeah. Can I get one of those under, under, for Christmas? How do you get one? How do you get a penile plethysmograph? They're, they're quite expensive, I think, yeah. <laughs> but, but you could try. <laughs> Money's no object. Um, let's get to this girl's call uh, and her question. Yeah. Uh, you know, based on the reading you've done and the, the research you've reviewed, what would your advice to her be? She really wants to know what the hell she's supposed to do. Keep dating this well, guy? And what is he? Is he straight? Is he... How she yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to advise her on this sort of appropriate course of action, but we do know that approximately 1% of the human population is legitimately uh, aroused more by other species than they are by human beings. And it sounds like, uh, from her question, this person has no erotic interest in human beings, but he is primarily aroused by other species. It's not clear, however... Uh, the, the type of species or the genre of species that he actually is primarily interested in. Um, we know from the, the zoophilia research that uh, most zoophiles are interested in either horses or dogs, which is, is quite interesting because this is the type of species that we have the most uh, exposure to or the most interactions with. Um, and I and I think that I I heard in her question a dog barking in the background, which is quite uh, interesting, <laughs> and it probably is sort of informing her uh, uh, her questions or her interest in uh, or her concerns about this particular person that she's talking about. People have very intimate relationships with their pets. People stroke them, they touch them. They and, do. Yes. And there's and, a big taboo that goes, you know, a big line, dark black line that gets drawn between that sort of physical intimacy that we share with our pets and sexual intimacy. And I think it's it's sort of one of the most taboo or, or one of the sort of last lines that we can cross in terms of um, sexual arousal, because I mean, if you think about it, human beings are are 
a species of animal themselves. So it's kind of smoke and mirrors to assume that other species are verboten or some sort of off off limits. Um, we are justifiably, I think, concerned about our our pet dogs and cats and and whatever being violated by a human being. But um, they are themselves sexually mature organisms, species that uh, have needs and drives and interests. Um, so we don't know really why particular individuals become enamored by um, other species, but they really do. Bringing it back to her question, is a zoophile capable of also being attracted to human females and having a loving, intimate relationship, a romantic attachment? Or is she the beard and there's never going to be love there, which is why <laughs> they have very little sex and why she may have felt at one point that he might be asexual? Well, he's, not, he's, not, he's definitely not asexual. Um, he definitely well, has. She misidentified some... him as asexual because he didn't seem to be very interested yeah. in her. And what she's asking yeah. us is, do I stay? And my advice yeah. is no. Um, I think it depends. I mean, it, it, she seems to have some you know, low um, uh, sexual drive herself. She's hyposexual, it sounds like. So it doesn't sound like erotic orientation is particularly important for her. And there have been episodes of zoophiles being able to, uh, uh, you know, basically sort of participate or enjoy heterosexual relationships by imagining themselves to be having sex with, say, a horse or a dog while they're having sex with their wife or their girlfriend. Isn't I don't think romantic. that's... Yeah, I'm not sure I'd want to be that girlfriend. <laughs> I don't think it's advisable for, for sort of the general public, but because she seems to be expressing this hyposexuality or this low erotic drive herself, you know, maybe it's enough for her. Um, it really comes down to what she is prepared to um, uh, to accept, and whether the relationship itself, as a, a non-sexual, uh, sort of non-erotic relationship in terms of her uh, just companionship with this person, is enough. That was the word I was just going to use. You know, maybe it could be a companionate marriage if they stay together forever, where he sure. is. I don't want to say damaged because then I'm going to get angry phone calls from zoophiles, but he's damaged in this particular way. She has a low libido, but she does say that they get along great. They really enjoy being together. They have a good partnership. And maybe they're just yeah. too sexually, you know, dysfunctional, broken. I can't, I'm going to yeah. get yelled at by everyone using these words to describe zoophiles and low libido, but there it is, sexually broken people who well, the, have a bond and mean, really love each other and maybe they should stay together. But there's she no seems, question that he's a, there's no question that he's a deviant. But um, as are, whether he, as am I, <laughs> we're all deviants. I think that you and I, Dan, share an affinity, uh, an affinity with penises. Um, but but the the zoophile, um, um, because he is so low in sort of the sort of frequency in the general population, is particularly vulnerable to ostracism and and stigma. Um, that it's. It's interesting and it's important, I think, that she's, she's and it's, it's, it's fairly um, uh, impressive that she's, be, she's being able to listen to him objectively and to sort of hear him out and to share his uh, erotic interest uh, with her. Okay, but I'm going to nail you down on this. Uh, 
Let's this yeah. entire scenario, this whole situation, it all just unfolded. But instead of it being this girl's boyfriend who made this confession to her, it was your yeah. boyfriend yeah. who made it to you. What would you do? Uh, wow. Well, um, I, I suppose it would depend on you know, like this particular individual who who asked you this question. It would depend on um, how invested it, you were in not being pretend. Not so, your partner not pretending you're a horse when he fucks you. <laughs> I I think that if I were sufficiently aroused by this particular person and um he in this case were able to satisfy my my erotic interest and bring me to orgasm I really wouldn't care whether or not they were fantasizing that I was a dog or a horse or a pony or a badger would you, uh, it doesn't really matter from my personal perspective Would you draw the line would you draw the line at whinnying Um I think winning could be kind of hot, actually, <laughs> uh, if we had the bridle to match. Yeah, but, pony um, play uh, yeah. is a little different, though. Human pony harnesses are, um, I think, underestimated in terms of uh, achieving orgasm. It's like the International Mail Catalog. They look good on guys who look good. Yes. Pony yeah. gear. On, so, on people who don't look good, it doesn't look so good. So really, I mean, I think that if he can achieve orgasm, she can achieve orgasm through some sort of mutual understanding of the situation – then um, it's okay uh, because what transcends sexual arousal is the um, the bond, intersubjective uh, commitment that the, uh, the the couple actually has. Thank you so much, Dr. Jesse Baring. He uh, writes the Being in Mind blog at ScientificAmerican.com and a columnist for Slate. Thanks for chatting with us today. Thanks, Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm calling regarding podcast number two eighty and the babysitter who's charged to have mommy and daddy's homemade porn. Excuse my raspy voice, but I had to call. While I agree with your answer, I feel like you missed a huge point. I'm a nanny, and I wanted to scream while listening to this caller that you never, ever tell someone else's child to keep a secret from their parents. This is a safety issue should the child ever be put in a situation of abuse, and a liability issue for the babysitter should the parents start wondering what else she's instructed their little girl to keep quiet. When dealing with other people's kids, transparency is the only option. Hi, Dan. This is Petra. I was just calling because um, the girl who just, I think you just gave her advice on podcast 280, and it was about her friend who was a bisexual who came out on Facebook, and her mom was saying that wasn't appropriate. And honestly, I think that's a bunch of bullshit. Like, who the fuck cares if she comes out on Facebook and your mom disapproves? Like, it's none of your mom's goddamn business. It, I've had, you know, my mom tried to, you know, when I touched the, or approached the uh, situation of being gay or bisexual, my mom really kind of like, really kind of hushed it up and like, that's not something you should just be sharing with everybody. And and my mom is a fairly like progressive person who's absolutely okay with the big, with the homos, but she wasn't okay with that. And that's one of the things that she did. She kind of censored, you know, tried to censor me a little bit. And this is my mother who's this amazingly educated, wonderful, like very just amazing woman. And so I suspect that might be her mom's kickback reaction. And it really has no part of your friend's. It's like none of her, none of her business. Like your mom, or that woman's mom, was none of her business whether her friend came out or not. Like on Facebook, nobody's business. Hi Dan, just listened to your latest podcast, including a woman who is worried about her weird sex fantasy. So I thought it's your my weird sex fantasy. Um, it's a pretty standard pubescent peasant girl with the older aristocratic dude who's in who has power over her except in mine the aristocrat is a dragon and the peasant girl is a were raven 
And I know it's really weird, but it's been stuck in the sexy part of my brain for the last 10 years. And cheers. All right, we're going to leave it there. Thank you all for your calls and your questions and comments. 206-201-2720. That's the number if you'd like to leave a call or question for a future podcast. Before we go, we want to wish Mike, who's been a very naughty boy, a very happy birthday. His birthday is on the 16th. Happy birthday, Mike. Uh, the 17th is St. Patrick's Day coming right up. Remember, the lesson of St. Valentine's Day also applies to St. Patrick's Day. Fuck first, then head out and get shit faced. 206-201-2720. That's the number. Give us a buzz. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Leave comments on every podcast at thestranger.com slash lovecast. And me and the tech-savvy actress usually back at you next week. We're installing the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for listening.